welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, June 22nd. We are here live. Going to be kind of a weird day. Uh, maybe not. We don't have a theme. We don't have any guests. We're here for an hour this morning. So jump in quick and join us. It is a free for all. You can talk about anything you want today. At nine o'clock, we'll head on into Rolling Toe. And then at 10.15, we'll reconvene in a Twitter space. So for my two parts today, it is a free-for-all. Ask me anything you want. I've got uh, some topics I'm going to talk about here till the calls start to come in. So jump in anytime, 855-950-3835. Remember, just an hour here this morning. So I was just, for some reason, got into a bunch of statistics last night and this morning. Uh, part of the reason was Atri put out their annual report on um, operating expenses uh, in the trucking industry. There were some pretty interesting numbers in there. You know, I, I try constantly to get owner operators and small fleet owners to call in and talk about their numbers. We've got a couple people that do pretty regular. I wish we could do it more. Um, since I can't get numbers from you, We'll, uh, we'll look at fleet numbers. Uh, some of these are actually pretty comparable to what we would expect out of an owner-operator. Take maintenance, for example. Uh, yes, fleets have some advantages. They may get bigger parts discounts. If they're running their own garage, they should be able to keep costs down that way, although it's not always the case. Sometimes that can end up costing you more. An owner-operator has the ability to, one, do some of his own maintenance and keep costs down, and use strategies and technologies to keep maintenance costs down that fleets can't use. So I've often heard, how can we compete against fleets when they get big discounts? And I, well, don't compete against them where they have an advantage. Compete against them where you have an advantage. The fleet air filter saves maintenance costs. We're not buying new filters all the time. It's a lifetime filter. It also keeps the engine cleaner, which keeps maintenance costs down. Fleets are never going to use the fleet air filter, mostly because it would be a disaster for them. I can tell you exactly what would happen when they get their filter changed on the road. There would be fleet air filters being thrown away. I've seen it happen. And the truck leaves with a paper air filter. It's, there are just some things we can do that fleets can't. The OPS is not a good strategy for big fleets. It's new filters. It's a whole new service schedule. Just does not work well for them. The OPS keeps maintenance cost down by reducing the number of oil changes pretty dramatically sometimes, cutting it by up to a quarter of the cost. There are lots of strategies that we can use in, on maintenance that fleets can't, even alignments. You know, fleets sometimes look at it as we try to keep up with alignments, we spend a fortune and our tires still wear out and they wear out wrong and they wear out funny. And so sometimes they just kind of give up on it and deal with the fact that they're just gonna replace tires more often. That's just part of their business model. That's where you can compete against them. It's interesting that a lot of times I find with all the differences, the cost per mile on maintenance for owner operators and fleets usually ends up being pretty darn close. It's not that far off. I, I would say right now, um, 
the average cost per mile um, is right around 18 or 19 cents for owner operators. Uh, according to Atries, it is right at 19.6 cents for fleets. That's a pretty close number. Now, when it comes to fuel, I think owner operators have a huge advantage over fleets here and their fuel cost per mile should and can be significantly lower than fleets. I'm looking at the fleet average in here, 64 cents a mile. I think somebody showed me their numbers the other day and they were at 36 cents a mile. Now this is a 2022 number, so we'd have to go back and look at the numbers for 2022 for owner operators, but they are significantly lower than 64 cents a mile. Certainly in our world where we get our data from fuel gauges, people who use fuel gauges get better fuel economy. That's just a fact. So we are cherry picking kind of the best owner operators, uh, but numbers aren't even close there. Uh, insurance premiums, about uh, nine cents a mile. Now that's a place where an owner operator could be at a huge disadvantage. Their insurance could end up costing them significantly more. Some owner operators are paying less than that. I should go check Matt's number on that. Um, Matt's a great example, one truck, own authority, own customer freight, but he's been doing it a long time and he's got a really good record. The other thing we have to look at with insurance cost, which is it's, it's a big factor, is just what state you're in. That's a big, big factor in insurance. Uh, tires came in at four and a half cents a mile. So when you look at fuel cost at 64 cents a mile, tire cost, and I get it, tires are expensive, but they last a long time, less than a nickel a mile going to tires. So we were talking the other day about, you know, all position tires and they would wear out faster. And they do because they start with less tread. They don't wear out as fast as you think they would compared to a tall lug tire. But when you look at, so maybe we increase our tire cost by one or two cents a mile by buying more fuel efficient tires and maybe they do wear out sooner. But when you look at the net net, you're saving money. We can impact fuel more than we will impact tire cost. This is, this is why we do these numbers so that we can learn things like this. Um, driver wages are taking up 72 cents a mile, 72 and a half cents a mile for driver wages. And if you put in benefits, um, that is another 18 cents a mile. So driver total is right at uh, seven, eight, nine, 90 cents a mile is going to drivers. Now there's a place where you have an advantage as an owner operator. First off, you're probably not paying for benefits. Maybe you should be, but you're probably not. And if you're not, it gives you a cost advantage. If you're not paying for retirement, you should be. Many owner operators don't set anything aside. If you're not paying for your own health insurance and you're just going without, that will save you money in the short term. We don't know what it might do in the long term. Um, short term and long term disability. Many times that's a benefit if you're a, a, an employee driver. Most owner operators aren't paying for disability. Maybe they should be, but they're not. So that is money that can go to the bottom line.
Um, this is a shocking number. This is the first year ever that the fleet cost per mile exceeds $2 a mile. I've never seen that before. It's always been under $2 a mile. And it didn't go over a little bit. It blew right past $2 a mile. $2.25 a mile. What fleets are reporting as operating costs right now. That's, that's scary. When you look at the rates, boy, I hope these companies have a lot of cash because they're going to need it. The, the rates are not going to support these kind of costs. We talked about this. Uh, we knew driver wages had to go up and fleets were forced kind of to raise driver pay. And it's gone up significantly. I'm going to talk about driver pay in the last decade. Uh, but I said, I, I don't know how they're going to do it when the rates go back down. They can do it in, in that great rate environment we had. But I kept saying, what are they going to do when the rates go down? You can't take back driver's wage increases. So it's going to be a very, very tough ride for some of these fleets. Uh, if you want to talk about any of these other numbers, if you want to compare your numbers, um, I've got the cost going back to uh, 2013. Here's an interesting statistic. on. So if I look at 2013 fuel cost per mile for fleets, 64.5 cents a mile, 2013. Now, if I look at 2022, 64.1 cents a mile, four tenths of a cent difference in almost a decade. But there was a time in there, let me go back and find the lowest year. Uh, actually, the lowest year was 2020, 30.8 cents a mile, half. So from 2020 to 2022, fuel costs doubled, but they were the same as they used to be back in 2013. That This is why we have a fuel surcharge. You can't operate a business that you're, one of your single biggest costs is that volatile. That's why the fuel surcharge exists. Um, lease payments, truck, trailer, lease, or purchase payments. So we're comparing whether or not a fleet would lease their trucks or buy their trucks. We're, we're comparing that either way. Uh, back in 2013, that cost was 16 cents a mile. Now it's 33, double in a decade. That's significant. Um, the repairs and maintenance only went up about a nickel over a decade. I don't think that's bad, really. I, I was actually shocked that it was that low. I would have predicted that it would have been higher over that time. Um, the cost of tires, we always talk about, and I do, I talk about, boy, tires are getting expensive. Well, they are, but they must be lasting longer because in the last decade, they went up four tenths of a cent per mile. The fleet cost for tires per mile in 2013 was 41 cents. Now it's, no, four cents. I'm sorry, 41. Four cents, 4.1. Now it's 4.5 in a decade. That, that's zero increase, really. I was shocked by that. Um, like I said, one of the biggest increases, wages and benefits. Driver wages in 2013, 44 cents a mile. Driver benefits, 12 cents a mile. So that would have been... 56 cents a mile total. And now instead we are at 90 cents a mile total. Now think about this. We just talked about it. Tires really didn't go up. Maintenance costs really didn't go up. Fuel costs 
really didn't go up over that decade. They went up and down a bunch of times, but at the end of the decade, they're right back where they were. Fuel, maintenance, tires, virtually the same as they were a decade ago. Driver wages increased significantly. Not quite double, but a 60 or 70% increase. Now, what I have been hearing forever that there's a driver shortage. Then a whole bunch of people say, no, there's no driver shortage. You just need to pay them more. Well, first off, if you're giving us the way to fix the problem, why did you start by saying there was no problem? There is no driver shortage. You just have to pay them more. Well, no, what you're saying, there is a shortage and your solution is pay them more. So stop saying there isn't a shortage or maybe there isn't, but nobody's ever explained to me how we even determine what a shortage is. But if the answer has always been pay them more, the stats just don't agree with that. In the last decade, that number has gone up significantly Now, if we would have seen any change in driver turnover or shortages, I would have said, oh, okay, maybe it is pay. Let's keep trying it. Virtually no change. We're still talking about the same kinds of shortages and turnover numbers we were a decade ago. So I'm not saying we should not pay drivers more. I'm just saying that clearly was not the problem and still isn't. So something other than just paying them more must be the answer. I don't know what it is. Well, actually I do. I do know how to fix this. Most fleets aren't willing to do what it takes. And it's not easy going to make, you know, the whole industry needs to change. Uh, two things. One, uh, and this one's actually easier. This get drivers home more often. Start really working on freight and lanes and routes that get your drivers home. Start hiring better. In You know, don't hire a driver that never gets near his house with your freight. It's just a bad idea. Look, I've seen this in real life. I hired drivers for three decades. I know what it was like to try to keep a driver in a truck over the road with general freight. It was really difficult. I know how hard it was just keeping teams on at FedEx, even with dedicated routes, you know when you are off, you're off every weekend, whatever your weekend would be, there was usually always two days off, you're off holidays. I had lots of those team runs for years. I struggled with drivers. I gave up all those miles, switched to shorter out and back day runs, single drivers out and back. My turnover problem went away completely. It's zero turnover and I had a waiting list of drivers and I had a couple drivers who retired while they were working for me and stayed around as extras. I had zero issues with drivers and my, the only change was I got them home every night and they were off weekends. It was more like a normal job. Can that be done with over the road freight? It can be, it's not going to be easy, but the fleets that can figure it out would have a huge advantage. We've also talked about hourly pay. I think it would be a much better system, but it's really, really difficult to make that shift as an industry. All right. uh, What other numbers? Oh, here's here's some other. um, I could go on and on about the the operating margin. Oh, yeah. Let me do this. Uh, Operating margin. This is a, a different number. I think it if if I explain what operating margin is, I believe people will get it more than operating ratio. I, I tend to use operating ratio and I like it, but it's confusing 
because in most statistics, we tend to believe the higher a number is, the better it is. And operating ratio is one of those inverse numbers. The lower the number is, the better. So that confuses people. So instead, I'll use operating margin. So operating margin is really kind of the same as if you use our software, Profit Gages, and you see percent of revenue for your expenses, and then you see your net after percent of, of revenue after your expenses, that would be your operating margin. What's left after we deduct operating expenses and then compare it to revenue. So it becomes a ratio because we're comparing two numbers. It's really one of the most accurate ways I know of and, and least confusing to compare operations. Which one is really generating more revenue based on sales. So that really tells us the efficiency of that company. If we just look at sales, sure, one company might generate a lot more revenue at the top line, but who cares? It's the bottom line that really matters. So operating margin. If you look at most industries, most industries are somewhere between 10 and 20 on their operating margin. Meaning, so let's say they're at 15. Their operating margin is 15%. What that means is for every dollar of revenue they generate, they keep 15 cents of it after expenses. So 15 cents on the dollar, that's what they're able to save. That's also a good number because if you have a chance to increase your revenue, you can look at your operating margin and know how much your net is going up. This is why the drive faster, make more money crowd is just wrong and they don't even realize how wrong they are. They think, oh, but look, if I go faster, I generate this much more revenue. Well, great, but how much of that do you keep? And everybody's operation is different. So we can't put a number on that, say, well, if you generate this, you only keep this. We could do averages, but you got to know this number. So when we cut cost, though, if we cut cost, that goes straight to our operating margin, all of it. That's why this is a much better number to look at. So I said industry, if you look at all the industries across the country, it's roughly going to be mid-teens, the trucking industry almost never breaks single digits. Uh, this year, they got close. Uh, they were 9.9%. Now, I, I, there's some really good companies I've always talked about. Uh, let me go back and see if I have that number. Talk a lot about Heartland being really efficient, and this is a measure of efficiency. So if the industry average is 9.9. Let's go see what, uh, and all these numbers are available as long as the trucking company is publicly traded. If you can find the trucking company on the stock market, then we can find all of their operating numbers. They, they are required by law to report them and it's public. So that's what I'm looking at. Uh, Heartland is a publicly traded company. So we can check on their margins, their profit margin, slightly different than operating margin, but 
different size companies. Sometimes we've got to look at a slightly different number, but we're talking about the same thing here. The it, So the operating margin average in trucking was 9.9. Profit margin is actually a little worse. It's 8% in trucking is the profit margin. So let's use that number because Heartland does not generate an operating margin. I'd have to go in and calculate it myself. But they do give us their profit margin, 13.1%. Significantly better than the industry. And in fact, that's that's what the report actually says. Um, here, here's their analysis. As a result of the analysis of the key financial ratios of Heartland Express, we have established the following. The financial condition of Heartland Express Inc. in 2021 is much better than the financial condition of half of all of the con- companies in trucking. And their, uh, their worst year in quite a while was uh, 2019. And then they came roaring back in 20 and 2021 and uh, had some really good years. That was not the case for everybody in trucking. Um, there were several companies that, that struggled through those years, even though rates were good. Sometimes it's just a matter of how you get caught in the economic cycle. Are the fleets replacing equipment that can have a big impact on it? Um, so just some really interesting numbers that I was looking at today. Here's one more, and then I'm going to get to the phone calls. Uh, We talk a lot about mostly in trucks, but it's conversation in cars. Oh, you're you're not patriotic. Why do you drive a foreign car? You should buy an American car. Okay, let's talk about buying American cars. I'm going to read down the models of the top 20 cars that are most American. So there's an index, cars.com publishes this, and they look at where was the parts manufactured, where were the parts manufactured, where is the car assembled, what percentage of the cars assembled in that location. And so they're looking at models of cars who are mostly American made. And it's, so here's the model. I'm going to read the model numbers and see if you can even figure out who the manufacturer is. So I'm going 1 to 20. So the most American car, it's actually an SUV, in America right now, this is a 2023 ranking, is the Model Y. Anybody recognize that one? Number two is a sedan, Model 3. Number three is an SUV, Model X. Number four is a sedan, Model S, one through four, Model Y, Model 3, Model X, Model S. Who is that? Number five, Passport. Who builds that? Number six, the, uh, here's something interesting too, by the way, that the top six, five of the top six are electric vehicles. The number six, ID.4. Who makes the ID.4? Number seven, Odyssey, eight, MDX, nine, Ridgeline, 10, RDX, 11, Accord, 12, Tundra, 13, Integra, 14, TLX, 15, Pilot, 16, Corsair. Who the hell builds the Corsair? That's the only one I I don't actually know. Oh, okay. I'm not going to say it, see if anybody else knows. Uh, 17, K5, 18, Sequoia, 19, Corvette, 20, Pathfinder. Anybody recognize who builds those models? 
And are they American companies, the way we think of American cars? How many American cars that we think of American car companies are actually on the list in the top 20? Somebody guess. So you heard me name all of them. Somebody call in and guess how many of these cars in the top 20. These are the most American cars based on parts and where they're manufactured. I think it's kind of a shocking list. Let's get to some phone calls and see what's on your mind. Let's go to Alabama. Mark, welcome to the program. Okay, that would be Tesla, Honda, Volkswagen, and Toyota, correct? Yep. Yep, you got it. And were you, well, able, I, the, were you I, able to pick out any American models in there? What we consider American car companies? No. One. There was one. No. I, I, well, Corsair. No. Oh, I'm sorry. There were two. It, it looks like Corsair is made by Lincoln. All they do in this chart is give me the logo. Of the, it looks like the Lincoln logo. Yeah. The Corsair, but I've never heard of that. The Corvette actually made the list. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah, it's made in but, Bowling Green. But, uh, the, but the Corvette was number see, 19. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the, uh, the Sequoia and the Tundra are made in San Antonio, and I haul those. And I can tell you, because I haul a lot of Toyotas, that Toyota and the, the Hondas, well, I mean, I haul some Hondas, but the Toyotas, I, I liked it so much, I went out and bought it for Carl Munch, you know, replaced my Subaru. Which, I, Subaru, I mean, they might not, they're made right there in West Lafayette, so... Well, yeah, this is, you know, where do all the... Now, I will say this. I said there's really no American car company. I need to correct myself. Not what we... But Tesla is purely American. Started here, and Tesla has the top four. And I think Tesla only has four models. So all of their cars are mostly built here more than any other car in the country. But where are all the traditional... Where's Ford and General Motors and Dodge and Jeep? And where are all those they're, they're not Mexico. American cars anymore. They come in in Mexico. They come in uh, uh, GM. They, they're making all their 1500s down in Mexico now. The uh, uh, the Blazer, the uh, the Equinox, the uh, uh, all, all of those. They, I, they come right up through Laredo on that uh, Kansas City Southern line, right up into Texas, uh, right there, so. well, well, obviously, with American cars, we don't even name need to name models. Almost none of them made the top 20. So that means it, even if it might be manufactured in the U.S., and I know plenty of American cars are still built here, but their parts are coming from all over the world. They're not nearly as American as we thought they were. Well, all you got to do is go to a dealership and look at the Moroni sticker, and it'll tell you where most of the stuff comes from. It, it could be as much as if it's – final assembly could be just thrown in the floor mats at a port of entry. <laughs> yeah, so. So, yeah, so you know what I'd love to find, and I don't even know if it exists. Um, I'd love to find this for trucks. I don't know. I don't know if they put a Moroni sticker on trucks, but I'm, I'm sure it can be fine. I'm sure somebody's got a list. Yeah, I might go look uh, for that. So, I was calling because you started talking about cost and programs and discounts. Well, the number one discount out there is Mastic with fuel. I mean, it's just I'm it, I'm right now at fifty nine. It is a car. Fifty nine cents a mile is what my ninety day average is. So. Uh, that's a car hauler. I, I get I, all I, the fuel I, mileage. I'm in well, the fiber. Yeah, I, but l- let's think about that. 
you are beating the industry average for a fleet that is for an industry that is primarily dry van. I mean, that's the most freight that moves around the country is dry van. That's the easiest thing to get good fuel mileage with is a dry van. And you're in one of the worst operations for fuel mileage and you're still beating their average. I, I was like, that's kind of amazing. I was like, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's also programs you can get as an owner-operator for tires. There's one, it's one by WEX. It's called B2B, the gold program. You'd have to Google it. And I've run, I've run the Yokohamas everywhere but the steer tires on here, the RYO23. I run them all the way around because it's a uniform tire. You can find them easy. Go ahead. Let, yeah, let me give you an example of how crazy this is. So when I had my trucks contracted to FedEx, they would try to give us discount programs. They'd offer the the discounts to us that they were able to negotiate. Now, because they didn't really own tractors, there wasn't a lot of those things that they negotiated. But since they own so many trailers, they had big discount programs with tire vendors. They had what they called national pricing and they offered that national pricing to us as contractors. I never used their national pricing because I could beat it locally. I just went and negotiated better deals myself locally than they could. And a lot of people don't realize that. They have to get a national price guaranteed. The tire companies look at them and go, well, we're going to get killed when we give you that discount in this part of the country. And we might make a little over here. And ultimately, I was able to negotiate a better discount locally. Yeah, I've, I've found that before. Before I got any discounts or whatever, I would just buy on those, those, those crappy trailers when I was first getting started, not knowing what I was doing. I learned one time that even the Chinese tires, it's like they take and they just, they mark the hell out of them. They mark them all up. And there's, there's so much room that if you could build a relationship, somebody locally, you could probably get a better deal. Uh, that now, uh, it's I, just, even on car tires, all, all the tires are just marked up tremendously. I, I will say that towards the end of my operation, the last five or six years, I was paying significantly more for tires than I could have with either another company locally or the national price with FedEx. The reason being, my operation got so tight that if I had a a truck down with a tire, I had to go rent a truck, which was really expensive. So I found a a local tire guy who was completely mobile. He would come out at three o'clock in the morning if I needed a tire and, and always was there when I needed him. But he was not a Michelin dealer. So he had to go buy the Michelin tires from a dealer to put them on my truck. I, I was willing to pay that extra cost for the tire because the service was so valuable and saved me so much downtime. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I just I, now that you mentioned it, I just had an issue this morning that caused me to lose my mind with. Grand Day TA. I went in there to get a, a tire repaired. Ended up not being needing repaired, and they took everything off or whatever. Then they charged me for tire repair. Everybody was sitting around doing nothing. Cost me over an hour, and I finally just I had an inside contact through Nastic with TA Petro, and then I called their number, and then I, I'm going to get my fifty five dollars back. I'm told them fifty five dollars really is like nothing, but it's like your service is actually horrible. It, it, it could have really this could have been a five-minute, ten-minute um, issue, but because everybody's lazy, complaining about their wages, 
if I want the clock in until exactly 8 a.m. when it's one minute till, I'm like, I, I, I said there's a reason your shop's empty with five days. Because everybody knows that don't go there. I could have just gone to Southern Tire Mart and been in and out, which is 10 miles away. And it's like service is everything. It's like you pay for service. It's, you know, cost is one thing, but paying for service when you need to be out here, because everything I do is, while it's not time to buy the carriers, it's time by me. Because if I'm not efficient, then I can't do two round trips a week out here from West Point, Georgia to Houston, Texas. And go ahead. Yeah, let, let's do a comparison here real quick. I just thought of this on the numbers as I was running through this. I should put these into my own spreadsheet and start playing with them. Let, let's look at the four biggest costs in trucking. Fuel, maintenance, equipment payments, and driver wages. Four biggest costs. I constantly hear drivers, we can't compete against these big fleets. They get so many discounts and bullshit we should be kicking their ass all over the highway think about the four biggest costs let's talk about equipment do you as an owner operator have to replace your truck or are there times where you could keep a truck almost twice as long and still it would make sense for costs right well absolutely we want to keep you want to try to keep it for cost because i mean you've talked about this before where just buying a truck for the sake of making a, a tax uh having a, uh, uh, you know, a tax discount or whatever, you know, right. write-off is like one of the worst reasons to exactly. replace a truck. Right. Now, if somebody knows their numbers and they look at it and say, well, my payment cost will go up, my insurance cost will go up, but my fuel and maintenance will go down sometimes significantly, it makes sense. But here's the difference. The owner-operator has the option to look at his numbers and decide, no, I'm not gonna replace my truck or trailer this year. Fleets don't have that option. If they don't turn over equipment often enough, then they have driver turnover issues. So they're almost forced to replace equipment. So we can kick their ass on equipment well, cost. Now, fuel cost. They're at 60 some cents a mile between Nastic discounts and just managing your fuel, knowing where to buy, getting better fuel economy, all those strategies we teach. We've cut that cost in half for some people. Yeah. Then let's look at maintenance. We can maintain trucks just at about the same cost. That, that cost is really similar. Um, some of my best operators beat that quite a bit. Um, but even as an average, we're at least even. They have no advantage on that one. Now let's talk about drivers. Do you have to spend, do you have to, I'm not saying you don't, but do you have to spend 90 cents a mile as your wage? No. No. You, you have no, control I, over that no, number, I, right? Correct. Yes. You, you can. 100%. Yeah. I know owner operators who live in six, seven hundred thousand dollar houses and drive new cars all the time and they can afford it. But you know what? They don't have to. If times get really bad, they, they can control their cost and lower their own wage and wait for the market to come back. Fleets can't do that. They can't go to their drivers and say, sorry, guys, rates have gone down. We're, we're taking back the last two raises we gave you. That would be suicide for them. So the top four costs, three of the top four costs, we have a big advantage over fleets. Why are we crying that we can't compete against them? We should be kicking their ass. 
Let me let me tell you another thing. You really you, you hit on, but you didn't get drilled down. Is cost of capital with financing. It's like uh, good people will go out and just like accept whatever the going rate from Bank of Harris, uh, these finance companies or whatever. When you can build a relationship with a credit union like I did down in, in uh, Lake Jackson, Texas, PDCU Credit Union, and you get six percent. So but if you put 25 percent down, you get the good rate. Yes, that's right. And if you have a good credit history. You get a better rate. If you've been in business longer, you get a better rate. If you actually go to your lender and share your profit and loss statement with them, sometimes you can get an even better rate. They understand numbers. Yeah. Well, because yeah, because, because the trucking, trucking industry is notoriously very risky. When I worked at Penske Truck Leasing years ago, the, uh, the, the regional manager, if you rented to a trucking company, he would fire you. And I said, why? He goes, because they're notoriously filed bankruptcy and don't pay their bills. He would not rent to a trucking company. Here's something I, I, I'm going to challenge everybody who uses an accounting system where you can access these numbers. If you're using profit gauges, it's really simple. Here's what we should do. So the total cost for a fleet to operate one mile in 2022, those are the most recent numbers we have, and that's pretty damn recent. That's just last year. It just ended not that long ago. So these are really recent numbers. The cost for a fleet to to move a truck one mile is $2.25 a mile. I would love to have owner-operators go through there. Um, and what did I say driver wages are right now? What did I say that was? Hold on a second. I got to get back to the trucking numbers here, the carrier cost. Um, wages were 90 cents a mile with benefits. So we'll, we'll, do, we'll do an apples to apples comparison. Take your business report or your profit and loss out of profit gauges, add in 90 cents a mile for driver wages, or if you already track driver wages, just make it 90 cents a mile. So we're not we're not playing with that number. I could do all kinds of things with that number. And then I want to see where your total cost is with driver cost at 90 cents a mile. It should be significantly less than $2.25. Well, I don't know if mine is because I was paying off a lot of debt last year. Like I said, I paid off about $50,000 in just pure debt that was before I figured out how to make money out of it. Yeah, well, and, and so, that's, that's sometimes, yeah. like I said, uh, you know, I used Heartland. Their numbers looked really good in 2022. But I went and looked at Landstar, and I, I was in a discussion yesterday with somebody about Landstar, and they take 30-some percent. That's robbery, those crooks. But, well, wait a minute. Uh, Landstar isn't, you know— raking anybody over the coals and they're not running to the bank with a bunch of money. They had a pretty rough 2022. They were significantly under the industry average. So profit. So when you said, so one of the points that you made, but you didn't really, I'm, I'm going to explain it in a better term. When I, one of my previous jobs, when a cubicle was looking at numbers and this, that, and the other. So, and it was a, it was a, a propane transport propane company, the biggest one. And I worked in logistics office. So when they looked at wages and for all employees, it was like whatever the hourly rate is plus benefits. And there wasn't like overtime. It's like, okay, this is your hourly rate. If you made $15 an hour, they looked at it from a budget standpoint of maybe $21 an hour. And, and people think 
oh, I get benefit, I get all this money and benefits. Well, really, you get a lot more because you're not adding what the benefits is that they don't tell you. You you get it, but you assume it's free. You're really paying for it because it's, in the budgeting standpoint, it might be like the benefits are twenty five thousand, but we're paying you seventy five thousand. So you're really making a hundred thousand, but you think you're only making seventy five thousand, and you think you're getting ripped off. <laughs> you see what I'm saying there? No, I know. It's like you're, you're from right. the budget standpoint. A, bu- a budget standpoint is, is X amount. So a driver making 75 cents a mile could be well making over a dollar a mile in true wages. He just doesn't look at it that way, and he thinks he's getting screwed. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know what else I just realized that when I talked about Landstar and the fact that they had a, a worse 2022 than the industry average, I explain why all the time. They, they did. Well, yeah, I remember they, that. They, they didn't refuse their contract freight when spot markets started paying more than the contract freight. Many fleets, we, we call it contract freight. It's really not. It's not a binding contract. So, so carriers just look at that contract freight and say, hey, wait a minute. We could go make more money on the spot market. So they just start rejecting those I, loads. I have, an, but- I have an example. I have an example, real-life example of that two days ago. I booked the load through the carrier. I always hauled it out of Houston, and it was coming back this way. And I called in to tell them when one of these plants was going to be shut down because I have a relationship with somebody over there that I can ask these questions. And he goes, we were just talking about you. We have somebody, we have a load that somebody dropped the ball on that's four days old. We need you to do it for us. I'm like, sure. It paid $100 less, but do I care? No, because they take care of me. Correct. It's like, I didn't care about that. Right. I right. just did the load. I was happy they called me. They, they I, I was happy they thought of me. So I, I'm going to make a prediction. They thought of me. They And... Exactly. That's what relationships do. That that's the glue. So I'm going to make a prediction. I don't make but, many but predictions. Some of these some of these people, some of these people would be wanting to get more money oh, because they think, oh, he owes me that. Right. No, right. no. In the long run, over a year, I make a I make a. It's embarrassing, almost what I make. I, you know, but it's, it's easy. It, so it, it, it's funny. All the people that think the way you think are all doing really well most of the time. I don't think that's a coincidence. So I'm going to make a prediction that when these numbers come out this time next year, I'm going to predict that in 2023. Landstar is going to have a better year than the industry average because they will stick with their contract and their 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 dedicated shippers and they won't see the bottom of the market as hard as the rest of the industry, just like they didn't get to take advantage of the top of the market either. That's their business model. I think it's a smart model. And the moral and the moral of the story is don't screw your customers over. You have the opportunity because. The the roles will be reversed, and it'll come back to bite you in the behind. There you go. Good stuff. Hey, Mark, I'd love to keep this conversation up, but I am looking at the clock, and we are on a time limit today. So i got to get to a bunch of calls here. Uh, We're going to do the speed round. Brandy in Illinois, welcome. Thank you. So yesterday I was listening to the show and uh, either Twitter spaces or the show um, talking about gray hair. And it wasn't brought up uh, what I found. Uh, My hair is graying and it's faster and faster. And I thought, well, let's see what the Google has to say and come across some kind of supplement. But one of the things I learned by doing that was that as you get older, something that's in your system causes... uh, 
to keep your color, it's in your system, but as you get older, it's less of it. So, and the nutrition of your store or, or your interest that maybe you might be able to find something that, or diet. I'm sure it's diet. So, I always thought maybe it was like oranges and, and stuff like that that would strip your hair of color. This is an issue I know absolutely zero about and have almost no interest in. Just let your hair go gray. What's wrong okay. with that? <laughs> really? No, no, I'm serious. Yeah. What, what's wrong with that? Why do, we, why do we need to keep color in our hair for some reason to the extent that we're willing to slather toxic chemicals all over our head to keep color in our hair? Yeah. Uh, honestly, and I know... Well. Some of us. I, I, I know this is just not a very popular opinion, but I'm not sure why. I, I would seriously like to see the entire makeup industry just disappear completely. I prefer yeah. women without any makeup at all. None. I, I really do. I, I think that made up look is just so artificial. It's like everything else that screwed up our health. It's all artificial. Let's just get back to being real. But the, as the job is what it was, I, I decided to do permanent makeup with uh, permanent tattoo, and uh, that solves that problem. <laughs> well, it, it, no, it doesn't. It's part of the problem. That's toxic. It doesn't? No, we, we have documented, that's Jeremy, what happens to your C reacts, your CRP numbers when you get a tattoo. They go through the roof. That's massive body inflammation. I have tattoos. I won't get another one. Just for that reason. I like them. I want another one. I actually enjoy them. I've, been, I've got my first tattoo when I was 17. I like them. I, I'm yeah. not going to get any more. I, if I would have known the, the toxic level and the damage that was doing to my body, I would have never gotten the first one. It was recommended, and it seemed like an, uh, the easy way out that e eating, when you didn't have e time, it was already on your face. Eating low-fat and heavy grain diets is recommended. Look at the results. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> Tattoos are permanent, though. Uh, I, I <laughs> so, get it. And you'll yeah, do you more have a choice damage on the diet. To, to your body trying to get rid of them. So it's not a good idea to try to get rid of them either. Once you have them, you've made the mistake. Well, they're and, on, and, and look, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't lay awake at night regretting my tattoos. It's not that big of a deal. But I wouldn't do it again. And, and the idea of, of makeup to me is, is uh, kind of crazy. Why do we put women through that? And I want to tell you why I have chimes. Uh, it came by a company that decided to put in uh, uh, driver camps. And it's like, I didn't want them listening to anything I might be doing in the truck. So I thought I'd drown Good. them out. So they couldn't hear anything. Good for it you. It became an addiction. And <laughs> I like that reason. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I gave my job up over those stupid cameras. And now I drive for a company that doesn't put any restrictions. Though they're going to put cameras in it. But I will still have the same attitude. Well, you'll have to listen to my chimes. Good. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have for you today. All right. That's all I need. Let's, uh, let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome. What's up, Kev? I got a quick, uh, well, I had a question about the gun, but I got a quick question about the tattoos. I, I missed that with Jeremy. So what is it actually, what does the tattoos do to you? Because I got them too, but my brother... So my, my brother's got a lot, and he's so, been having health issues for years. 
So first off, let's just realize that we're putting ink under our skin. Our skin's our largest organ. That ink is not natural. Now, right. now look, I, you know, there were tribal tattoos way, way, way back when. They were probably using a lot less toxic right. stuff. But, so that's one issue, the toxicity of the ink itself that's in your body now forever. But what we found out, CRP, we talk about measuring your CRP. We do, I actually do it once a quarter with the vitamin D test. I'm behind on that. I need to order some. Um, I must have stopped my subscription. I don't know what CRP is. Can you, so it, it's a, can it's, you quick explain CRP? It's measuring C-reactive protein. And it's an indication of okay. inflammation in the body. The higher that number is, the more your body is inflamed. My CRV runs less than okay. one, consistently less than one. Um, I don't remember what Jeremy's number is. He would have to call us, but I'm thinking it went up significantly to like six or seven, which is way kind of off the charts on inflammation. So the, the tattoo process itself we're damaging the skin over and over and over and over. Skin, body yep. has to yep. go repair that damage, and that's what inflammation is. And then the more that you do that, then you weaken your immune system and all that other stuff, right? Is that the way it's going? Or Yeah, and I, I, we haven't done enough research to know how long this lasts. You know, does it just go away after it? But, but here's the thing. If we know with, with true markers that we're doing that much damage to the body, I'm going to look damage, at it and say, yeah. as yeah. much as I kind of like the whole tattoo thing, I won't get another one because of that. I hear you. All right, so uh, as far as the, the garment, I noticed some. I have the Phoenix or whatever the I can't say the the big the, the, the big one. Yeah. And um, now on my Connect, also my HRV's gone. It's on my watch though. I never so, noticed that on my watch. I never really played around with it on the watch. So, but I can't pick it up on the, my Connect anymore. You've got to go into settings. There's a place to to customize what shows up on Connect, what shows up on the watch. You no. can you can customize both of those. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I did. I mean, I customized it, but I tried to pull. I can't find it anymore on, on so, the. Um, so here's one uh, of the. On the Connect. I know. Here's one of the oh. things I've seen happen a lot on Connect. I almost wish they would change their method. If you're if you try to touch one of your readings, but you happen to slide your finger a little to the left, then a delete button shows up. Right. And I, I've done it. I've deleted things out of my Connect that I wanted in there. I just did it accidentally. It's kind of easy to do. But there's a method to go back in there and yep. add it again. I, I just can't tell you what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, you slide it all the way up. No, I know that. You slide it all the way up. It goes down the body. It goes uh, repair. If you do that day, it says restore uh, edit for the day. You hit that, and it comes up. But I, I don't know. It just disappeared. I got it on my watch, though. I mean, you know, I can see it on there. Well, it's always there. The sensor is in the watch, so it's always reading it as long as it's on. But you control what you see in the software. So what I would do, because they change this all the time, I would just call Garmin's tech support line. They'll get you fixed in about 30 seconds. Okay. Cool. All right, I'll let someone else get in there, Kevin. Thanks. All right, thanks for the call. Let's go to South Carolina. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Howdy. Uh, the only, only one of those car manufacturers I Googled because the Corsair, I was thinking, oh, it sounds like what, GM. I, was it a Lincoln? It was a Lincoln. Okay. 
Yeah, Lincoln Corsairs. So, the, yeah. the logo was so tiny I, I a, on the chart, I almost couldn't see it. And But I, I looked at it, I thought, it kind of looks like Lincoln. I've just never heard of a Corsair. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, as soon as I saw it, oh, uh, yeah, it's a sedan. Thing. So, but um, I think my neighbor, actually, one of my neighbors down the road, I think he's got one. So. Huh. So isn't that um, isn't that crazy? But, uh, Only two cars that we consider American. Well, Tesla, I guess. Tesla's just an oddball, but you know, a traditional American cars. Only two made the top twenty. Well, the the one I was surprised it was not on there was the Ford F one fifty. The the parts must. Seller, but yeah, I, the, I guess the parts yeah, must, be must be manufactured all over the world, right? Uh, yeah, which is what happens with most cars because. Uh, the last uh, actually up until this month, all I hauled was Jeep. But I'm pretty sure that like Mark said the only thing in America that's in them is the floor mats. Jeep <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Renegade is what I was hauling. I, I hauled 80 of them, actually 79, because I had I had a Alfa Romeo. But uh, they built in Italy. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just crazy. I mean, it, it, it's what we think of as American cars are no longer American cars, and many cars we think of as foreign are now mostly made here. Now, it, there's another issue. Yeah. Where does the corporate money end up? Well, for the most part, it ends up back in the country of origin. I get that. Um, you know, Honda's a Japanese con- company, so most of those profits are going back to the headquarters. But look at all the economic activity Honda generates by building their cars here. And, and Kia, the Kia, I think you said the right. K five was on there. Toyota, yeah, Toyota yeah, had several well, models. They, Volkswagen even yeah. had a model. So there's a German manufacturer that's more American than most American cars. Yeah, well, a- actually, my next load I'm going to get, I'm going to get three of those Volkswagen ID four. Yeah, they and seem they to be really popular. I'm so. seeing them a lot. Hey, Paul, I'm going to cut you loose. What? I know you wanted to talk about your numbers, but we're out of time today. We're going to go to Wyoming. Leroy, welcome. Hello. What's on your mind today? Oh, Kevin, how you doing? Good. Good. Uh, health savings account. Uh, real quick, I got a uh, company driver, and I switched from uh, my insurance at the beginning of the year over to HSA through it, and uh, put my wife on the uh, same account with me, but she has her own insurance at her place, and she's got the flex spending card. She's going to switch it over to HSA when they have open enrollment. Well, what I want to know is uh, between now and that time, the money that she might spend at, uh, at the end of the year, will, will I be able to take the deduction off that? No. Or does it have to actually run through the Two things have to happen. It, it does have to be money you marked and set aside as HSA money, but the insurance itself has to qualify for a, an HSA deduction. And my guess is hers does not. And she has the flex spending account attached to it already. So that would tell me it doesn't qualify for HSA. Okay. Okay. So I'll just have to file both of them hurt. Hers is flex spending and mine is an HSA. And then in uh, November, when her open enrollment comes around, we're going to switch hers over to HSA. That way we can take the bigger benefits off of well, everything, and, you know. And, and I, I hate the flex spending accounts. If you don't spend the money every year, you lose it. They force you to go get medical yeah. procedures. What a horrible idea. 
Well, we figured that out. It's like, but her open enrollment was in November, so when we done taxes this year, figured that out, or wasn't even the taxes. Yeah. When we got the floor back, it's like, uh, what? All that money that was already in there was just gone. Yeah. I know. It's like, yeah. So the HSA rolls over and everything. So, okay, I know you're on a time schedule. Yeah, the HSA rolls over forever, and at some point you can move it into your retirement account. So much better. Yeah, so we're getting it rolled over. So I'll just I'll just play that flex spending out till the end of the year and get it switched over and everything. Uh, thanks for what you do, buddy. Because uh, I listen to you all. I listen to you all the time. So you're welcome. All right, uh, thanks for the support. All right. all right, I ended right on time today. We uh, almost to the second. We're out of here. Rolling toe is up next. I will be back at 10.15 on Twitter Spaces, so you can join me on Twitter itself if you want to participate, or you can listen live on the app just like you always do. Uh, I don't know what's going on tomorrow. We'll uh, we'll play it by ear. We'll uh, find out later today probably who is joining us and what the schedule is. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.